I want to talk about possibly my favorite thing to do as a child. Where's Wally? This was a foundational part of my childhood. Uh, my parents are here, which is superb. Basically, what I've worked out in my older ages, on a long journey, if they gave me this to concentrate on, I did not ask, are we nearly there yet? And oftentimes, I resented arriving because I still hadn't found Wally. Uh, hands up quickly if you uh, have engaged with Where's Wally before, if you've played it. Excellent. Hands up if you've never heard of Where's Wally before. Okay, so a quick explanation for those of you who have never heard of Where's Wally before. Basically, Where's Wally is a very simple game. On a page, there is a gentleman called Wally, and Wally wears a red and white striped jumper, blue trousers, and a red and white beanie. Quite clearly a Liverpool fan. And then what happens is Wally walks into a busy train station, and everyone at the train station is wearing red and blue and white, and they've all got funny faces. And basically, the idea of the game is you spend your time trying to find Wally in amongst a horde of people that look very similar to him. It was a superb, superb game. It's one of those games that would begin with joy and very quickly turn to rage. It's one of those games that you can get lost in for hours or you can ruin it by looking at the back of the book and finding out exactly where Wally is on every single page and feeling like you were successful. But the thing I've noticed is that Wally, whilst being a superb individual, is incredibly sneaky. He's incredibly sneaky. He dresses like the other people in the crowd and very rarely has he stood on his own. Instead, he's stood just behind someone, obscuring your view. This goes hand in hand with the second thing I noticed about Wally. Wally is really bad at looking after his belongings. Because as you go through the book, there are more and more things that Wally started with that you need to find left in the picture. Wally is bad at looking after things. And then I discovered something which I've decided uh, in my research this week has rooted much of my adult life on a photography-based trajectory. What happens is, when you are playing Where's Wally, you're given a very simple task. A very simple task. Find Wally's walking stick, for instance. He starts with a walking stick, he's now lost it. You need to find his walking stick on the page. So you're contently looking at your picture, looking for a walking stick. You are set on finding a wooden walking stick. And as you're looking for a wooden walking stick, your eyes catch three gentlemen stood on top of each other's shoulders trying to break into a building. And you've completely forgotten your walking stick. It might be that you're looking for Waldo. Waldo is a friend of Wally's who's decided to get lost in a crowd as well because the game was beginning to get run its course and they decided to add more characters for you to find. While you're looking for Waldo, he dresses in uh, black and yellow for those who are interested. You may well find that as you're looking for him in this scene, there is a swimming pool. And in the swimming pool, there are children playing with what looks like an inflatable crocodile. But on second look, they're playing with a real crocodile. And your focus for Waldo is completely lost. I decided to adopt this policy in my own life, not the real crocodile thing. If you see a photo of me, you will tend to find that within the photo, I am not smiling. I am instead stood with my mouth as wide open as it can be. I've just decided people aren't really looking at me in group photos, so I might as well do something silly. I'm okay with that. 
This peaked for me on a log flume ride at Alton Towers where I managed to remove my t-shirt on the log flume, put it back on before anyone knew it happened until we got to those big photo booths and the picture appeared and I was happy as Larry and my wife was terrified. <laughs> Finally, I was at a friend's wedding and we decided in the group photo that was in a field, myself and a good friend of mine, we would just run as far away from the group as possible. So in our friend's wedding photo, our two randomers in the background of the field. And they did not notice for a long, long time. Because it's amazing what we focus on. We've already decided what it is we're going to focus on, and we get so set on that, actually we can miss quite a lot of what's going on around us. And what Wes Wally taught me was actually... Sometimes the stuff going on around can be quite interesting. It can be quite easy to distract us. Our focus is crucial to us. It's very important. If a video started while I was talking, you would have a conflict. Is your focus on what's happening on the screen? Or is your focus on what I'm saying? If I turned around and told you the next thing I'm going to say could change your life, you're conflicted because there are loads of ducks running around in a really weird pattern on the screen, and yet I'm about to tell you something important. It's amazing how quickly the world tries to distract us from what we're trying to concentrate on. Magicians and pickpockets rely on it. The media campaigns are determined to do it. They want to change your focus from the thing that they are talking about to the thing they want you to see. They want you to focus on the cards in one hand because everything that's important is happening in the other. I want to go as far as to say that the ease at which we can sometimes lose focus affects our everyday lives. It can affect our everyday lives. And in turn with that, this lack of focus can affect our spiritual lives as well. I'm going to invite Jess to come up now, and she's just going to read, from us, uh, read for us sorry, this amazing story of Paul's conversion, someone whose focus very clearly shifted in an incredible way. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless as they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In verse 17, it says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Thank you, Jess. I'm just going to pray. Father God, as we've talked so much about focus, 
As we've looked already this morning at how easy it is sometimes to be distracted, I just ask that for this short period of time, we would focus on you. God, may we hear what it is you've got to say to us. God, through this story of Saul meeting with you, would we ourselves see a new glimpse of you? Come and be with us, Father. Amen. I'm sure we've read this story many times before. If you haven't read it, I'm sure you would have heard of it. If you haven't heard of it, a very quick oversight. Uh, There is a gentleman called Saul. He has, as far as I can see, one key objective. That is to kill uh, this Jesus movement off before it begins. And so that's the path that he set out on. He is doing his utmost uh, to wreak havoc on everything that's good. So much so that he takes on another journey to continue this path that he believes he should be walking on. And it's while he's on this journey that his focus begins to shift. And we see the first of a collection of changes. Verse 3 reads, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Paul is on a journey. Paul is going somewhere with a very clear objective. His objective is, if he finds anyone who is a follower of Jesus, then he can murder them. We've read earlier that he is still breathing those murderous threats. He is focused. He is incredibly focused on the task in hand. I'm not saying that I've ever left my house with that level of intensity but I can be fairly headstrong at times. I can be fairly headstrong and set out with a very clear purpose. I know what I want, and I know where I need to go, and everything else kind of pales into insignificance around me. For many of you, you will know that that journey often is from my office to Greg's to get coffee, but I'm fairly focused. Ask Pastor Mark. I can be very focused when it comes to coffee. For some of us, it could be coming to church, going into work. We have these tasks that become a focus and that's what we're going to do. Please hear me, it's not always that focus is a negative thing. Sometimes they're good things that we can focus on. We become so focused, we think, you know what, in this meeting, I'm going to listen well. I'm going to listen during that meeting and then I'm going to deliver uh, what I need to say. Maybe it's just that moment where you decide you want a latte. Maybe it's on your way into church. I hope the preach is good this morning. We have a focus. We've already decided often before we get to the thing what we want from it. We become so focused. I challenge us that Paul has that kind of focus here. He knows what he set out to do. And he is going to do it. So I want us to consider this. If we are people of focus... I know many of you, I know that you have this kind of focus. When there is a task at hand, you're very good at getting on with it. But I want you to consider this question. What would it take for God to interrupt your focus? What would it take for God to interrupt the focus that you have on the task in hand? As I said, not all the tasks need to be bad. Some of them will be very good with good intentions. But what 
would it take for God to interrupt your focus? Are you so focused on the task in hand that actually the way God will probably need to get your attention is a blinding light? Is that how focused you are on the task in hand? That actually God would need to do something on that scale to turn your head a little bit? Maybe you're one of those people that's a little bit more receptive to what God's doing and actually you just need that gentle nudge, just that slight change of vision within your spirit to see what God's doing. Maybe you're one of those people that is just aware of what God's doing. You can sense it, you can see it. Only you yourself can answer that question, what would it take for God to change your focus, to interrupt what it is you're doing? But I encourage you, introduce life habits. Introduce life habits. The reason I encourage you to do that is I'm learning to live my life with a focus and an expectation. The focus is on the task in hand and the expectation is that God will probably change it. God will do something within it. And that's why I want to be in tune with what his spirit is saying to me. Because I don't want to get so headstrong when I walk across Greg's to get coffee that I don't hear God saying, speak to the person at the bus stop. But God, I'm really focused. I need to get my coffee. Am I going to need to be blinded to see what God's calling me to? Or am I going to be more in tune with what it is he's saying? boils down to the very morning that we're here. Are you here because you're at church? That's what I do on a Sunday. It's in the diary. Or are you here expectant of God to shift your focus? Of a God who speaks? Of a God who in this story brings a blinding light? Paul was so set on his path, he needed a blinding light to change his focus. I don't want to be Paul. I don't, know, I don't want to be so focused, so set on the world before me that I miss what God is doing spiritually around me. I don't want to get caught. I don't want to be poor. I do not want huge things to have to happen to adjust my focus to God. As I said, take up habits. Do things that make you in tune with God. I encourage you, if you don't yet, take some time in the morning to pray. Take some time in the morning to pray. Read your Bible, do a devotional. Some of you will drive to work. I challenge you, take the time in the car. Pray. Listen to worship music. Maybe when you go for your lunch break, you could take a slightly longer route around the park. Put a preach on your phone. Are you doing things, are we doing things that allow us to be more in tune with God and therefore need less distraction or less blinding light to move our focus into what he is saying to us? I do not want to be like Paul. For some of us, it seems silly to, you know, just praying in the morning won't make a difference, Tim. Well, you know what? I would rather pray in the morning than take the risk that I'm going to need God to blind me for me to turn my focus onto what he's doing. I don't want to be like Paul. Second point is in verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see 
anyone. This is huge. I do believe this is huge. Your focus is not my focus. Your focus is probably not the focus of the person stood next to you. What this tells us is that despite a blinding light, a voice from heaven, we have men traveling so close to Paul, probably as close as I am to you now, and yet they did not get the focus that Paul was given. And I find that a huge relief. A huge relief. Because what it tells me is your focus is not always going to be my focus. There will be times when we have a united focus. There will be things we're called to as a church, as groups. It's key that we understand this. We have our own focus, our own calling, our own giftings. And it's crucial that we don't get caught out trying to be like someone else, trying to do what they do because they're persuasive. What is God calling you to focus on? Very quickly back to Where's Wally. Where's Wally is really not a two-player game. It works, but it doesn't work well. It is really a one-player game. But I realized as a child there are two ways to play two-player Where's Wally and two ways only. The first, which I favored because I'm crazy competitive, was the competitive way. You found out what you were looking for, and then you turned the page, and the two of you dived as close to the page as you could to try and find the object first. And you would do that thing where you would yell, I found it, every time you saw something brown and furry because you were looking for Wally's dog. Or you might do, if you were a little bit like I can be when I play games, you maybe just place your hand on the bit of paper that you can't yet look at, but you know the other person can't see it because your hand is there. Clearly just me that has a slight inclination to cheating. Awkward. But you push and pull until you eventually find what it is you're looking for and one of you is the winner. The second option is far more friendly. The second option is where one of you may look for the walking stick while the other one looks for Wally's hat. And you set out looking at the same page, looking at exactly the same scene, but you are looking for something very different. The variation allows for something amazing to happen. Because while you're both seeing the same page, different things will catch your attention. You're looking at the same page, but you're looking and seeing different things. If I am looking at the page and I'm looking for a walking stick, every time I see a branch, I will start to think it might be the walking stick. But if you're looking at the page and you're looking for Wally wearing a red and white striped top, you'll probably not see any trees because they're not what you're focused on. They're not what you're focused on. You're on the same page, in the same space, yet your focuses are on something completely different. And I believe this is how God works. We are in the same place. Many of us spend our time in the same community. And yet I believe God calls us very clearly to have a different focus from one another. As I said, times where there'll be united projects. But the people that I see in the street will be different to the people you see in the street. Allow God to take your focus to where he wants your focus to be. I bang on it about it all the time. One of my favorite passages in Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. You are uniquely crafted. God knew what he was doing when he put you together. 
And therefore, he knew the focuses you would have. So don't try and take my focus. Because that's not who God made you to be. It's not how God made you. God made you with your focus because he needs you to see the things that only you can see. Please hear this. I might not always understand your focus. I might not always understand it. There may be times I even think that your focus is silly. I apologize for that. But please do not allow my lack of understanding to take you away from what God is focusing you on. And likewise, the people sat beside you, in the pew in front of you, behind you, they might not always get it. They might not always get it. But God is calling you to be unique. The world calls us to fit in, to get along. I believe God calls us to be unique. The world tells us not to rock the boat. I think God is quite content for us to just get rid of the boat. Your focus will not be my focus. Just because I'm stood next to you, just because I'm in the same church service as you, does not mean I will hear and see the same things you hear and see. We see that with Saul's conversion. They were stood right beside him, and yet they did not see what he saw. A word of warning. Maybe we should spend less time focusing on why we think other people's focus is wrong and more time on making sure our focus is on God. Let's spend less time worrying that someone else is getting it wrong and more time making sure we are seeing what God is calling us to. Because we get very bad at that in church. I want to be close enough to God to feel his gentle nudge, not to need the blinding light. And I want to embrace the diversity of God's people and be confident in my own calling. Huge things we can learn. And finally, this one. Sorry, it's getting smaller, more words. Verse 8 and 9. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Did not eat or drink anything. He was blinded. I believe in these two verses we see the danger of focus. We see the danger of focus very clearly. Because what we see is how the world blurs the vision that we can have of God. For some of you, you may have heard this before. I apologize. Please just humor me. This is something that really has taken my attention this week. But this would be my understanding of the passage. Saul is killing good God people. He sets off to kill more. And on his way, he's blinded by a light. Jesus speaks to him. He goes and sits out of the game, waiting for his sight to come back. When it's restored by Ananias, he gets baptized and begins a crazy mission to spread the word of God. That's what he does. That's what happens. He is blinded. Then he is, has his sight restored. He gets baptized. And he takes the message of Jesus further and wider. And he is focused on it. And you know where my focus goes when I read this? You know the thing that I'm drawn to? Paul got blinded? That's what my focus becomes. I'm so hung up on the fact. Paul got blinded. This is unfair. This is not good. For three days, the poor guy could not see. Everything I read about looks at the fact that Paul sits out the game blinded. He is hungry. It is dark. All I end up thinking about in this story, probably, if you're honest with yourself, the thing you remember about this story, when I ask you the question, what might we be talking about this morning, we're drawn to the blindness. What we focus on is Paul got blinded. 
We get focused on the physical. As I said, I may be late to the party, but I hope for some of you this is as eye-opening as it was for me. Paul went from seeing to blindness physically. Paul went from sight to blindness physically. But in this moment, he went from blindness to seeing spiritually. And I get hung up on the physical. I get so hung up on the physical, I forget that Paul set out to kill Christians and he gets blinded. And in the moment of getting blinded, his eyes are opened to what God is doing spiritually and everything changes. And I'm going, poor guy, three days without being able to see. That is rough. How have I missed the most significant part of the story is that what God's done really cleverly has gone, okay, worldly thing, gone. Spiritual thing, alive. What are you going to focus on? Church, where's your focus? Are we so hung up on what the world's doing, we're completely missing what God's doing spiritually? Because if I can do it in this text, my suggestion is we can do it when we are out there. We are so caught up on what's happening in the world that we completely miss what God is doing spiritually and amongst it. That is a huge challenge for us. I can see what's happening on the outside, but I lose focus on what's happening on the inside. This is huge. I'm so in tune with the world, I'm spiritually blinded. I'm so set in my ways, I do not see what God is doing. I challenge myself, if I was more in touch with the spiritual world around me, I think I would have seen more than blindness. I'd see more than blindness. I would see the restoration of spiritual sight, of real sight, of the true sight, a sight that allowed Paul to see his saviour. That's where I want my focus to be. If I can play Where's Wally and be distracted by a man sat so close to a fire that his coat is alight when I'm set out to look for Wally. I need to accept that when I read the Bible, as much as I might be looking for what God is saying to me, I can be distracted by the things on the page. I can be distracted by the worldly actions and miss what's really going on. We're going to finish our service in a moment with communion. Please do not be distracted by the worldly things going on because spiritually, there is so much more to this. Where is your focus? Where is your focus? I don't want to miss what God is doing beyond the words of the pages of my Bible. I don't want to miss what God is doing on the wor- in the world Sorry, outside of these doors. I don't want to miss what God is doing in your lives day to day. I want to readjust my focus. I want to focus on the things of God. So I want to ask you again in closing, where's your focus? If you are honest with yourself, where is your focus? Did you come in this morning already thinking about what was going on in the week ahead? Or were you focused on God? Tomorrow on your way into work, are you going to be so focused on getting there that you don't see the need outside of your car window? Where is your focus?